Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Oh, to dance like the lead singer of the cult back in the day. Welcome, everybody. This is Oilers Now. Speaking about the cult, uh, they'll be at the River Cree Resort and Casino June 7th. That is where we're going to go right now on our River Cree Resort and Casino hotline. We are pleased to be joined from Boston by Hockey Night in Canada lead analyst, former Edmonton Oilers head coach, or assistant coach. Uh, and, uh, well, he was uh, the last Oiler, I guess, in a season who had a 50-goal year until Leon Dreisaitl did it, and you were one of the first guys to credit him. We welcome back to the show Craig Simpson. Hi, Craig. How are you? I'm good, Bob. How are you? Good, good. We'll get to the series you're working here uh, shortly because uh, you're broadcasting yep. the game tonight. Um, your thoughts on Ken Holland becoming the Oilers' president of hockey operations and general manager? Well, I think it's uh, it's been an interesting scenario and timeline, and obviously with Steve Eiserman's, uh coming back to uh, Detroit, it sort of opened up the option for him. So, you know, I, I think in all, I'm a, uh, I'm a believer in Ken. I, I think he's, you know, uh, an experienced guy, a patient guy, a smart guy, a thorough guy who, uh, you know, won't leave a stone unturned to try to change things around. He'll do it on his own terms. He's got confidence in, in his abilities, his abilities to read players to make deals and you know I, I think one of the things about having a veteran guy you know th- he's got relationships with all 30 other GMs he's got some long term relationships with some he's done good deals and bad deals like he said and uh, you know I think that might help if you're trying to get this team out of cap trouble like they have and try to rework the the team I think it's going to help having some good relationships with some GMs you may have some that you know, might owe you a favor here or there. And I think that might come into play when you have to move some of the bodies and move some of the money out to make the necessary changes to to really transform the team. Uh, the fact that he's always been approachable, I mean, that's just a bonus from a media perspective, isn't it? Yeah, and, you know, he's, he's not a guy who talks to make himself look good. Uh, I think he's honest about where his teams are at and where the situations lie and the the moves he has to make so that can be helpful you know i don't i don't think he's an over communicative guy with the media to try to spin things a certain way and for me i I think that's important you got to do your job and you can't let that outside noise influence you in a negative way so again i I think the experience factor is going to be a big one uh what'll be interesting you know i think everybody understands that uh as I said, I think last week, you know, he, he has the ability to make the changes he needs. It'll be interesting how many guys will he be able to bring that he trusts and that he has leaned on over the last 30 years in, in hockey. And that's sort of what we were talking about last week is, you know, coming in and making change and bringing in your guys seems like an easy deal. But so often the guys aren't able to leave or have contracts back in Detroit or, you know, with other teams. So, It'll take a little bit of time, I think, but I I think he'll be working hard to make sure he has a group around him that 
can support him in the ways that he needs and he feels he needs. And, uh, you know, he's got enough of a reputation that might encourage some guys to, to leave a scenario that they're in to come join him in Edmonton. All right. We'll get to the team needs uh, in terms of, you know, questions and challenges because he said his first priority is the head coach. So I'd like to get some thoughts from you, Craig Simpson, as a guy who's been on an NHL coaching staff. Uh, The Oilers have had two experienced head coaches in a row here, in uh, Todd McClellan, who very quickly found work again, and Ken Hitchcock, who I think, and I'm not an ageist, but I think that Ken's age played a factor in in the fact that maybe the decision was made that was made. So, So on that note, they've had two experienced head coaches in a row. Can they go with a younger coach with this team? Well, I, I think you look at his history and, and moving Jeff Blaschel from, you know, the Grand Rapids team in the American Hockey League up into Detroit after they made the decision to, to not continue on with Babcock. Uh, you know, I think he's gone both ways throughout his career. He, I don't think he'd be afraid to have another experienced guy if he felt it was the right person, but I also feel... He's very much open-minded to saying, you know, if a, if a coach has been good in the American Hockey League and he's a good developer of, of players, if he's got, you know, confidence moving forward, I don't see any reason why it couldn't be a, an American Hockey League coach getting his first uh, opportunity in the National Hockey League. I, I, I could see that easily happening as well. What do you think of Dave Tippett, Craig? I, I like Dave. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, it's been a, a while for him in a, in a different role and been out of the game for a little bit. So you always think about that. I mean, the one thing that amazes me about doing games every, every week and every year and seeing the changes is just how much the game does change. And the coaches have to adjust with the players and be confident in giving younger players more leeway, more rope, more encouragement, uh, and allowing them to maybe make some mistakes but continue on more so than in the past. And I think young players have shown their ability to have huge impact in in teams. So uh, I think you have to have a guy that uh, is comfortable in that. And I think sometimes, you know, maybe a, a veteran coach doesn't have that in them. It's not an instinctive thing with some of the older coaches, whereas some of the younger guys, I think, have grown up with the junior players coming in who are good pros who understand the game and you got to grow with them and you got to allow them to have some of their ups and downs yeah uh i'm gonna give you a couple more names uh let's focus first on the guys that are here glenn gullitson or trent yanni that have been nhl head coaches before would either of them make sense for you uh, the only one that I would probably give a little more consideration would be Gully, uh, more so than Trent. Uh, and I'm not even sure exactly uh, the total reasoning for that. But uh, I think Gullickson is, is shown to be one that is a little open-minded to, to allowing guys and, and helping guys grow and getting younger players to maybe achieve a little more. Uh, you know, I, I, I'd be surprised, though, if one of those two guys at the end is, is the choice. How about uh, a couple, three uh, guys that are or were NHL assistants this past year? Todd Nelson, Lane Lambert, and uh, Chris Knobloch. Yeah, I think Chris has, you know, he, he's one that has probably some interest just because of his history with Connor, and maybe that's something that, uh, you know, would, would be a positive. Uh, I like Todd in, uh, I thought, 
you know, maybe the timing wasn't right for him when he jumped in uh, in Edmonton. That's quite a few years ago now, and the experiences that he's gained, uh, both coaching in the American League and then coaching uh, as an assistant at the NHL level, I-, I would give him an outside consideration and think that he, uh, from a personal standpoint, I-, I think he's been good with with the younger players and developing them, and I think he would be a guy that would be on the list anyway. Okay. Uh, in terms of the team, oh, you didn't have any thoughts on Lane Lambert at all? Lane, I don't. I don't know. I, I don't know him as much. You know, I know he's had, obviously, winning a Stanley Cup and working with Barry Trotz. You you gain a lot from how things are done, and Barry's that kind of guy who has changed, has always been about developing. So Lane, obviously, would have some of those characteristics as well. Uh, I'm just not sure if he's one right now that would be on the list of sort of next up as a, as a guy who around the league people would be thinking that he's ready to be a head coach. You've you've just done two straight series with Bruce Casty, who had a cup of coffee as an NHL head coach, went yep. back to the American League, and then came back, back up in the NHL. And look, he's on a team that's got tremendous leadership with Charup yep. and, and Bergeron. But we, when you watch, you tell me, you've seen a lot more of them than I have. Um, is there something to be said for a coach that, that maybe had an initial challenge in the NHL? Uh, yeah. Just give me a thought on that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a great learning lesson. And the, the coaches who survive those kind of scenarios where maybe you're too early in your development and become a head coach at the wrong time. I remember John Muckler telling me uh, back in my playing days, you know, you got to be careful of when you jump at that first job. You remember he got his first job in Minnesota early in his career, didn't go well, and he didn't get a job as a head coach for... <laughs> 20 years yes. or so. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that is an important development point for a coach. I think Bruce, what I've really liked about Bruce, and I've talked to him obviously a lot throughout the, the last couple of years doing the Bruins, is uh, just his his confidence in, in making adjustments and change. And I, I think that is sometimes the most difficult thing for Definitely for a young coach when you've got a bunch of veterans. You know, I, I look at his lineup changes in the last two series, not afraid to, to juggle when things aren't going well, to move Pasternak off that top line, which I'm sure Pasternak doesn't like at times because he likes playing with those guys. But it really sparked the team and changed the team and changed the way the matchups all went. And I really liked his adjustments both in-game but from game to game. And... Uh, you know, I think a lot of coaches get a little paralyzed in that regard. And, you know, there's a fine line between over-adjusting and disrupting your team and another fine line of saying, we need this spark or we need this change in our lineup. And I, I think that's probably, in this year's playoffs, been one of Bruce's best assets. And it's shown a lot of uh, confidence in his his thinking and knowing his team and knowing what he has to push and I think it makes it very a difficult team when you're constantly pulling the strings and changing what the opposing coach has to do from a matchup standpoint. I, I think he's really developed a lot, and he's been a, a good example of a guy coming back and being much better prepared to be a head coach. All right, Craig, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Craig Simpson from uh, Hockey Night in Canada, Bob Stauffer with you in Oilers now. What's the biggest question involving the personnel side for the Edmonton Oilers? A, a, I'm going to give you a list. Okay, bye. Okay, a, goaltending. B, uh, 
defense and transitioning the puck. C, Milan Lucic. D, Yessa Pugliarvi. Okay, well, I, I think the, uh, to, to me, this team's biggest fault and problem, uh, how long have we been doing this show, 10 years or whatever yeah. it is, I've said every year they got to learn how to play defensive hockey and and not uh, not be risk takers, not be gamblers. You've got enough high end skill that you can build. You know, you still need to have some wingers that can score. But the only year that they actually defended well, and you could say we're an NHL playoff ready team from uh, both ends of the ice, was the year they made the playoffs and they they won around. And I think it's been the biggest downfall that this team has played like a team that thinks they're a skilled team but doesn't do the work at the other end. So, to me, the transitioning uh, from your defense to offense, moving the puck, getting out of the cycles that kill you and get hemmed into your own zone, to me, this team, if I was a head coach, you know, you, you can push guys offensively and pull the strings you need to there, but this team consistently has been just a horrible defensive team. And you, know, you you could put the onus on goaltending, which has, you know, that one year, there's no surprise that Ken Talbot was a Vesna-type uh, goaltender that year. And, and that helps mask a lot of the other problems. But to me, Bob, that, that's got to be first and foremost from your personnel. Uh, bringing in guys in your, in your uh, you know, your top guys got to be able to play both ways. But I would say Leon's learned how to be a good two-way centerman. Uh, Connor does it just by his presence on the ice. You know, he's, he's a responsible enough defensive guy, but he pushes the game so much offensively. But they have not had a shutdown line, which every team really needs. Look at the the impact of a fourth line uh, here in, in Boston that shuts you down, that gets momentum, that pushes the play offensively. Doesn't always score, but can chip in. But this team in Edmonton has not had any kind of a a matchup line that you can play with. And I think that's going to be really important. And that's a valuable tool for a head coach in the National Hockey League is to have that kind of depth. Does this? Does your thoughts on this give maybe a guy like Tippett an advantage? I think so. I, I think Dave is, uh, is the type of coach that, you know, you've seen his work in, let's say, Phoenix, where they had some success with not initially, the greatest talent. Yeah, not, not the greatest talent. And I, I think Dave is one of those coaches that has a shelf life, you know, because he is demanding he, and he, he forces guys out of their comfort zone to play a certain way. But I, I think it's imperative that the team learns how to be good in that. I mean, Boston's a prime example. You, you said the, the leadership is one thing, but they know how to play without the puck. And they are so hard to play against. They check incredibly well. They defend well. They kill penalties well. And that's just a blueprint. Look at the teams that are left in the Stanley Cup uh, uh, Conference Finals. All of them are really hard, uh, fast, hard, uh, and defensive-minded players that also can score. And, you know, that's ultimately where you hope you get to your, your team at. What would you do if you were Ken Holland with uh, Paul Yarby and Milan Lucic? Well, I think you just – Lucic is one that I, I think there's one of two things. You, you've got to make – a scenario where you can make that contract go away. That's part of the cap purgatory that you have in, in Edmonton. If you've made a decision that he's not part of the group, and there's a number of reasons, especially at the end of the year, why that's probably a decision that has been made. Uh, if you can get rid of the problem uh, in the off season, I think that that would be priority number one. You're probably going to have to eat 
a quarter, a third, maybe even as much as uh, half of that salary. They, the buyout just doesn't give you enough cap relief. I think you probably have to work some sort of deal where you're giving something else away, maybe on top of him uh, taking a few couple of million off a year that you have to eat, but getting something in return that can plug a hole in that bottom part of your lineup that, that maybe can make a change. I, I think you got to try to do that in the offseason. You might be forced to have uh, Milan prove to other GMs that he's a worthy player. And so you might have to start the season and really challenge him to show that he can still be a player. Uh, with Jesse, I, I, like I've said before, the onus is really just on Jesse to come ready to be a, a player. And I, I think you don't, you don't hand him uh, an opportunity just out of, you know, nothing. He's got to show that he's ready to come to work and come play. And uh, I think the development year for him is going to be a huge one. You've got to come with some confidence to be ready to be a, an everyday NHLer and start from the first day of training camp from the, uh, you know, conditioning tests that shows you put the work in. And uh, I think you're open-minded about uh, what the potential is for him to, to show that he can play every night. All right, Craig, final question for you. You're working uh, this series between Carolina with terrific puck-moving defense, uh, yeah. but two guys in goal that have never really been a true number one. I, I'm going to – we've got our picks coming up with Jack here shortly uh, and uh, Brendan, but I'd like to get your thoughts – on the two conference finals and how you see them playing out? Well, I, I think in this one, if I was saying tonight with Charlie McAvoy suspended for one, if if you've watched Carolina, I think tonight's a, a night where you pin your ears back and you try to play the game at breakneck speed. And I've always felt that first game against an opponent that you're coming off a series where you've just had, you know, six games of going against the same guys, the same style, the same system, it's a really it's a wake up call when you have a new team. So if I'm thinking of Rod Brindamore and the way he's prepared his guys, I think this is a, a game where you're Carolina, you pin your ears back and you play at a breakneck speed and you gotta try to get this one. I, I think Boston, if Tukaras plays the way he is, I think they're a better team, uh and and probably should prevail. But this is gonna be a different challenge for, for Boston than the other two series. Almost a a bit of a combination of Toronto and Columbus that you're playing against in Carolina. So uh, on the other one, you know, St. Louis has been an interesting story. They've yes. proved a lot of people wrong. I think San Jose's got that sort of X factor. Uh, the question I would say, you mentioned the goaltenders with Carolina, you know, you can, you can sort of survive that if they play at their highest level and you get the support around them. I would say the same in San Jose, which one of those goaltenders is going to blink, you know, uh, Bennington's been an unreal story. He's had a few moments where, you know, you, you look like you could get to him. And Jones the same. You look at the first three games of the playoffs, it was a very different Jones than the last ones he's played. So whichever goaltender gives the consistent effort there might be the one that gives it over the top. I, I just feel San Jose's having one of those crazy runs where things are happening and they're finding a way to win. And I, I if I were to put a pick, I would probably say San Jose could prevail against St. Louis. Craig, I'm going to see what, what your memory's like. Just to wrap up, 31 years ago today, the Oilers okay. were in Detroit, game four of the Campbell Conference Final. Proby got two goals for Detroit. The game went to overtime. Uh, do you recall yep. who scored the game winner in OT for you guys in game four in Detroit to go up three games to one in the series? Yari, Yari Curry did. Uh, um, 
it was uh, was it either him or Tick, one of the two. No, you I got was, you got it. It was yeah, Jerry yeah. Curry. Well done, Craig. <laughs> awesome stuff. <laughs> okay, you're, you're, you got a memory like a steel trap, man. Thanks for joining <laughs> us. All right, take care. Take care. That is Craig Simpson from NHL Hockey and Rogers. It's twelve fifty four in Edmonton. We'll tell you guests on the show receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Roos Chris, it's the greatest steak you've ever had. Follow Sizzle to ninety nine ninety Jasper Avenue. Tell Maggie and the orders now staff. Uh, tell Maggie and the staff at Roos Chris, including Taylor over at Roos Chris and Brendan that orders now sent you. Jack Michaels is uh, landing this minute. Coming back from San Jose, where he worked last night's broadcast for Westwood Run Radio. Key will join us, Brendan Escott, myself, with round three, uh, yeah, round three predictions after a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.